You have your Bibles open to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to read this passage of Scripture as we begin this morning. And I want to begin reading at verse number 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works thereof shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also with other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your steadfastness, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, I pray now the Holy Spirit of God to help me. God, I pray for the empowering touch of the Holy Ghost of God on me. Our Father, we are today standing on the threshold of the fulfillment of these passages. Our Father, we realize that across this world there are scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as it were. But our Father, we do know these things. That the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and trump of God. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But our Father, we also wear the fact that it's a great time of tribulation coming on this earth. And our Father, our hearts for those who don't know you. Our Father, our burden is for folk who don't know Christ. And our Father, we realize that you're coming. We realize that destruction's coming. We realize that our loved ones and family and our work associates and our classmates who are not saved by the grace of God, our Father will go into the tribulation period or else be in hell for all eternity. And our Father, I pray God that you'd help us to soberly and honestly consider what manner of persons ought we to be in light of all of these things. God, in this hour we're living in, God, it's so desperately needful for the saints of God to be what we ought to be for your glory. I pray, God, for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God on the life of every professing Christian in this building. And I pray, God, the Holy Spirit will purge us. And, oh, God, I pray for revival. I, Father, I pray, God, that you'd visit us with real 
visitation from heaven. I pray, God, we'd see our Father, the supernatural power of God manifest. You said if we'd call on you, you'd answer us and show us great mighty things. I pray, God, for a day when this building will be filled to overflowing. Our Father, with God's people seeking you and worshiping you, and when lost people, our Father, by the hundreds, will come to this place to be saved by the grace of God. I pray, our Father, that throughout our business institutions in this county and in this nation, I pray throughout every political gathering and every public school that our Father, the presence of God, will be so real, that our Father, the convicting power of God, will come, and God do something here in this church and in this country and in, in this nation. Our Father, God, you've done it before. Our Father, during the days of George Whitfield, during the days of D.O. Moody, God, you've moved across this land. And God, you spared us as a nation. God, I pray, oh God, that for your honor and glory, once again, you'd visit America with real revival. I pray, God, you'd make us, our Father, an outreach ministry in these last days in such a way that, God, we can make sure the gospel goes to every creature on every continent. God, I pray that you'd speak today. God, without you, we could do nothing. God, make me completely honest in my own heart and spirit. And I pray, God, that you do the same here with these, our friends, in Jesus' name. Amen. I began a few weeks ago a series on sin. Sin, according to the book of 1 Peter, is a transgression of the law, stepping across God's boundary. We are sinners by nature. Adam sinned, and therefore, the Bible says, whereas by one man sin into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, and that all have sinned. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has an old nature in them, and we are by nature alienated from God. Therefore, Jesus said, you must be born again. You've got to be born again. It's not an adherence to some religion religious doctrine. It's not just accepting some creed. It's not walking down some church aisle. It's not being baptized, but it's having a new nature imparted to you through a process or through a miracle called the new birth. When you get born again by the grace of God. And that's what every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth needs. And that's why he said, go you therefore into all nations and preach the gospel to every creature. He wants everyone to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody saved. Now here the apostle Peter is looking across the panoramic view of eternity and he's looking at the responsibility of God's people, those of us who have been saved. And he said, I want you to know one thing. Everything's not going to continue just like it is now. It's not going to continue in Johnson County like it is now. He said, the time's coming. This earth will melt with a fervent heat. He said, judgment is coming. The great time of the tribulation is coming. God will one day close the door on grace and judgment will once again fall. And he said, not what's the responsibility of the world in light of that. Not what's the responsibility of Washington in light of that. But he said, knowing these things, if you know Jesus is coming again and you know that judgment's coming, what is my responsibility? What is your responsibility? And he said, knowing these things, what manner of persons ought we to be? He indicates that there's a responsibility of us. We are saved by grace. God forgave us of all our sin. Heaven is our home. But what happens, my dear friend, in that time between you're saved and when Jesus comes or you go home is your responsibility. So far as walking with him in close fellowship and your fulfillment of his demands on your life to be a witness for Christ. What is it that hinders revival? It's sin. What is it that hardens our heart? It's sin. What is it that hampers the outreach and growth in communities across this nation? It's sin. 
If I were to talk this morning, Brother Ray, this morning, read the passage of Scripture in Proverbs about the, the things that God hates, and he dealt briefly with the subject of pride. All of those sins are there. And we could all, if we had to this morning, have a, a chalkboard or a, a, a marking board, we could list what we consider to be the sins of the saints. And there are many. And we're subject to like passions like as any man. And we could list them one by one, the different sins that you might find in, in there. There's so many people would immediately begin to think about what we call maybe visible sins. And they begin the list according to their own convictions uh, or drinking or smoking or whatever it might be. But some would list the fact that they are not faithful in their attendance to the house of God. Some would list the subject of lust or pornography or all those type of things. And, and those things do hinder us. They, they are sins and they need not to be in our lives. We need to put all of that aside of us. Uh, there are probably what I consider to be at least three very deadly sins to individuals so far as their Christian walks concerning the churches in in general. There are several things, but I, I, there are three. Number one, I would say our unbelief. He warns us about having in us a wicked heart of unbelief. And God's people in the hour we're living in sometimes have a heart of unbelief in regard to their own life. And they live an anxious life, a fearful life, because they don't believe God's able. They don't believe God can do all things. They don't believe God can change situations. They don't believe that God can save and God can make a difference. And they feel a sense of despair because of unbelief. And then there's that great sin that's mentioned to us in the book of Samuel. And that's the sin of a partial obedience. You remember when Saul was to kill and annihilate all of those, the enemies of God, and he reserved some, and he kept some, and the prophet of God came to him, and he said, have you done all that God told you to do? And he said, I've done everything that God told me to do. He said, well, what is the bleeding of the sheep? And what is it? And he, he, he had done part of what God wanted to do. And one of the great sins among God's people is partial obedience. Just being faithful to God some of the time and obeying God some of the time and doing part of what God wants you to do. That's an awful thing. And then in the book of Revelation, he says this, there's a great sin called departing from your first love. Many have left that first love. They don't love the Lord like they used to. That's an awful sin among God's people. But this morning, I want to deal with what I feel like is a great sin that would affect every one of us in here who named the name of Christ. One thing that might be common among the church in America and the church around the world is you come to find God's people gathering today in, in places around the world to worship. I believe there's one sin that it may be the most prevalent of all. And it's what I call the subtle sin in the book of Genesis chapter number three and verse number one, it says that Satan was the most subtle of all the animals. He came and he, of all God's creatures, and he beguiled Eve. He deceived her. And so that idea of, of subtlety has to do with, with insidious movement or, or, or undetected sin, it has to do with something that's so subtle that you don't realize it till it's done happened. It's much like the idea of, of being out on a body of water where there's no landmarks and, and, and you begin to drift. Some of these guys who fish and they, they find a structure in deep water, they'll throw out a Marco buoy 
or maybe you fish down at the coast or, or, or you, you've been somewhere and there's a, a position that you were in. And the next thing you know, when you turn around and look at your marker, you're way away from it. That's that idea of just without realizing what's happening, you're going that away. In this passage of scripture this morning, I want to share with you and preach with you on what I call the subtle sin. Notice, if you will, please, down in verse of this passage of Scripture, verse number 18. Notice what he says. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not a suggestion. That is a command to grow. You must grow as a believer. And if God says to grow and we don't grow, we've sinned against him. If God says that we are to grow and we neglect what it takes for us to grow, we've sinned. In nature, in what we call nature, what God's created, when things begin to grow, they die. And the same thing's true spiritually as well as physically. Most of us have pretty much come to a plateau or to a point that we're no longer growing. Now, we may be enlarging our girth and we may be adding a few calories. But actually, structurally, we're not growing. There's a point in time, we were talking about some children the other day in their early teens, 13, 14 years old, that were pretty good sized boys. And somebody made this statement, but they're not through growing yet. And so you know the case. There seems to be a time of growth, and then all of a sudden there's a spurt. Next thing you know, they're six foot four. But when they reach that height, there's a certain point when you don't grow any taller any longer. And when you reach the pinnacle of your growth, you begin to die. And that's what happens in churches. That's what happens in your Christian life. You'll reach a certain point and you quit growing. And the minute you quit growing, you start dying. It doesn't show up immediately. I'm be 65 my birthday. And people from time to time that I've seen over the years, they see us and they said, you and Miss Regina don't ever change. But the truth of the matter is we've changed quite a bit. Sometimes the changes are subtle and you don't realize it. But then all of a sudden you see it escalate. And you see people begin to go down all of a sudden. But the truth of the matter is, from the time you quit growing, you start dying. And the death process accelerates. Now you understand and I understand that when God saved you, he gave you everlasting life. You are going to live forever. But when the time came when you were born again by the grace of God, the Spirit of God said to us through the Word of God, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. Paul talks to a group of Christians who've been saved for some time. And he said, right now, I ought to be giving you meat. But he said, I can't give you meat because you're still babes in Christ. You're still on the milk and you ought to be on the meat. You have not grown. He rebuked them for that. And God's people in America, what's happening in our churches and what's happened historically is that they quit growing. I've been saved for a good long time and preaching for a good long time. When I left and went to a great Independent Baptist College in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we had over 3,000 students. 
The church itself had 4,000. It had 32 chapels out across the country. Great man of God, the leadership, and many other people in leadership there. And that church today, if you would go there and listen to that preacher preach, he preaches the same message that the other preacher preached. And there's been two or three preachers between then. If you went there today, they'd still hold the basic of the same convictions that they had. They'll still sing the same songs. But instead of having 4,000, they'll be lucky today if they have 400. The school that I attended had over 3,000. When our brother Cabot Barber went there, I think there was somewhere around 400 in attendance. What happened to that church? And that's not just that church. But you look across the country and you'll see it in schools and churches. And you go there. And some years ago, I preached a message on why good churches don't go, grow. Because I'd go into areas and I'd, I'd hear a man preach and he preached the truth. And they'd sing good songs and, and, and it was good. And there seemed to be a good fellowship there. But you go back year after year after year. It's the same group. And the reason is, if you don't grow, you'll die. There's no such thing as coasting as a Christian. There's no such thing as taking it easy as a Christian. There's no such thing as just being neutral as a Christian. If you put it in neutral, you're going to back down the hill. I promise you that. You must keep growing. You've got to keep growing across this country. There are churches. You look out across these country places around here and see all these little bitty churches. They didn't start like that. There was a group of people who got together and they had a burden to do something in that community for God and they sought God and they went in it with fear and trembling and they prayed and said, oh God, if you don't do this, it won't get done. And God, we don't want to mess up. We don't want to make a mistake. We want to do what's right. And they sought God and they prayed and they read the word of God and they preached and they began to say, if we're going to do anything for God, God use us for your glory. And they began to contact their neighbors and friends and try to witness and pray and they began to grow and they'd get from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 and they'd begin to grow. They'd get up and they'd get a little building and then they'd get enough people in there and they'd begin to pay the light bills and the water bills and all those things and they'd get to the place after a while where they had a good, good song service and they had a good piano. They had a good song leader and they had a pretty good preacher and they had a good fellowship and they had a ladies circle and a men's fellowship and they were just, everything was clicking along real good and so they began to be satisfied. And they just sat there. And they've been sitting there. And the truth of the matter is, they are faithfully dead now. They are faithfully dead. They still read their Bible. They still sing the same song. They still gather on Sunday. But spiritually, they are dead. And it'll happen to this church. And it'll happen in your life if you don't continue to grow. If you don't continue to seek God. If you don't consider, continue to pray. It'll happen here. It's a subtle thing because you reach a plateau. And here's a great church. And I thank God for this church and this ministry. I have to ask God to purge my mind and heart because every time we have some sort of function that invites people from the community into this building, people brag on the building and they talk about the people and about how wonderful you are and what a great group of people you are. And what a great job you've done and how God's blessed and how God's working and all those things. And that's exactly right. But if you, we're not careful, we'll begin to believe all those things and we'll be satisfied. We're just satisfied. Why? Because the truth of the matter is 
of all the churches in our county, probably, I'd say probably 85% of them, we're way ahead of them. So far as the crowd's concerned, so far as I think the spirit's concerned, I mean, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that's a fact. And the only reason I say that is because folk come here from other churches to different things we have, and they say, we wish we had that. We don't have that. We don't, we don't have the spirit this church has got. We don't have the power this church has got. I wish we had that. But you know what, what the bad thing would be is this, is that when you reach a plateau and you're, you're, you're a little bit ahead of other folk, as long as you see that you're ahead of them, you're going to be satisfied. We still got a good church. We still got a good building. We still got a good crowd. Everything's fine. Everything hunky-dory. Church down the road, they're not doing anything. One over there not doing anything. They, they got something mess going on over there time. God's been good to us. And so we'll just come in and find our favorite seat. We'll listen to the singing, listen to the preaching, and we'll go home. But if you quit growing, you're dying. You'll grow or you'll die personally. Some of you have attained a certain level of spirituality. You, you know a lot about the Bible. You know the Word of God. And if anybody asks you a question, you can pretty well answer it. And, and, and you, you know things about spiritual truth. But the truth of the matter is, you're dying. Because you've not grown any. I, in my yard is a great oak tree. I don't know how long it's been there. But it's been there a long time. But if next spring after those leaves fall off this winter, if it does not have new growth sometime in the early summer, I'll cut that thing down. Because if it does not bring forth new life, it's dead. And I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how much you know about the Bible. I don't care if you've got some sort of little pattern in your prayer life that you go through a ritual every day of praying. If you've not enhanced your Bible study, if you've not grown in your knowledge of the Word of God, if you're not growing in your prayer time, if you're not growing in your faith, if you're not growing, if you're on a plateau, you're dying. It's not evident yet, but it will be evident. Can I tell you that most marriages die before the divorce ever happens? Can I tell you before they close the door on most churches, they've already died a long time ago? They're just there. They're going through the motions. And what happens is our spiritual life. I've been saved a good long time, been preaching now some, going on 44 years. But if I don't grow every day of my life, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not developing spiritually, if I'm trying to coast spiritually, I'll die. If I'm trying to live on past blessings, I'll die spiritually. I won't, have the, I won't have any zeal. I won't have any joy. I won't have any power. I'm trying to challenge you this morning that God wants you, my dear friend, to grow. This word, grow, in this passage, I, mean, I, I don't know anything at all about Greek. I was talking to somebody the other day about my education experience. When I went to Lewisburg Junior College 100 years ago, I took Corne Greek. That's just elementary marketplace Greek. And I went through that with Dr. Farmer. And all I know now is I don't remember hardly any of that. I have some good reference materials. That's what I look at. But here's what I found out about the word grace. 
about the growth rather. He said, grow. That word is in what's called the present perfect tense or future perfect tense. It's future perfect tense. What's it mean? It means grow, grow, grow. It means to continually grow, continually progress. It doesn't mean that you grow till you get to where you know the dispensations. It doesn't mean to get to the place where you are premillennial. It doesn't get you grow to where you believe the plan of salvation or you believe certain doctrines in the Bible. It doesn't say you get to that place and when you get to that place, you coast the rest of the way. It says grow every day of your spiritual existence. A church that does not grow will die. A church that does not develop will die. I don't care how many they've got, they'll die. They may end up with the same number there every day. I was walking in my office this morning and I noticed that we still got some of the bricks in there that we had when we built the building, the memorial type bricks. If you didn't get one, if you want one, you're welcome to them. And it's just a, it was a thanking God for the wall. We did wall builders and they're in, in that office in there. They've been in there ever since. I mean, ever since we, we gave those things out and it must've been, I don't know, three, four years ago. They are faithful Every time I come to church, they're there. They're still there. They're going to be there. But they're dead. You can be here every service and still be dead. You can believe the Bible and still be dead spiritually. You can believe the fundamentals of the Bible and still be dead. You can read your Bible every day and still be dead. You can pray and still be dead. If you're not growing in that, if you're not developing spiritually, you're dying. Grow. My dear friends, where are you spiritually? I often ask in revivals, if you're not where you used to be, with the Lord. If you don't have that same joy and same zeal, you'll backslid. But as I've studied the Word of God, as I've looked at the Word of God, you don't have to be gone back from where you are to be backslid. You just have to quit going forward to be backslid. When Abraham was called of the Lord to come out of Ere the Chaldees, he gathered up his little group. He took his father-in-law with him named Terah. And, Tira and Abram went on and went on the journey. They came to a place called Haran and they quit going. And they lived there in Haran for a while. Terah died in Haran. You know why? Because he got hung up in Haran. And when he quit moving forward, he died. And if you're not moving forward, you'll backslid. Because you're going to die. You can repeat the same words. Go, go visit these churches I go to. Go out here and just slip off. I'll give you permission to miss sometime. Find these little country churches that's got a handful of people. They've been there all these years. They'll sing the same hymns you sing. They'll read out of the Bible. A lot of them maybe use a different version now. But by and large, they're going to say the same thing we say but they're dead. Why? Because they're not growing. They're not growing spiritually, individually. If you talk about a dead church, you know what you're talking about? Dead people. This building 
it doesn't have any spirituality whatsoever about it. Matter of fact, when we built this building, I, I was pushing for a good sound system. I said the only difference between a tobacco barn and a church house is a good sound system and the Holy Ghost. That's the only difference. But the people, and if you've got a church that's dead and in trouble, it's because there are people there who are dead and in trouble. And look across the panoramic view of America and see the stagnant state of the church in America. A lot of them not going back. A lot of them not having beer parties in the fellowship hall. They're not playing card games in the basement. They're going through the motions. But they've not grown. They're dead. I'm not talking about growing just necessarily numerically. I'm talking about growing spiritually. If you don't grow, you'll die. You know what? Some of my friends, I've watched. T.D. Burgess came and preached a revival here. And to almost everybody said anything to me, T.D. came in the old building over there about 14 years ago. And he's been several times since then. I had several people to tell me this time, T.D. Burgess preached the best this year's ever preached. He's 81 years old this month. But whenever you talk to T.D. individually, well, God showed him something last night. He found something. God showed him something. He's still got a hunger. He's still reading. He's still studying. My, my mentor, Brother Avery Rogers, I remember to studying about that word seal in the Bible. He told me about it years ago. He said he studied it for years. He'd always heard the pat answers what the word seal in the book of Psalms mean, means. Paul's, think about that. And he said, I spent years. He said, I categorized every psalm before it, everyone after it. He said, I laid it all out, worked on it for years and years and years. He said, I was in revival in Mobile, Alabama. And he said he was in his mid-70s. And he said, after the revival that night, he went back home to his motel room. And he said, I got the word of God. And he said, I got my notes out and I began to pray and I began to study. And he said, all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of the night, God broke the truth of seal on me, 70 something years old. And he said, when I woke up, I was in the middle of the bed, jumping up and down, shouting Selah. He went home to be with the Lord when he was 80-something years old, driving from Arkansas to Asheville, North Carolina, to preach in revival. He was still growing. He was still reaching out. He was still ministering when he was 82 82 years old, I believe it was. T.D. Burgess said he prays this prayer. Lord, Lord, I ask God that first of all, he said that you'd extend my days. He's not interested in quitting. He's not interested in giving up. He said, God, empower me. And God enlarged my coast. I want to do more for you than I've ever done. That's growth. And you know what most of you said, or many of you said? Many of you said, I've done my part. I'm going to sit down now and let the young people take over. And you, you know what? You're a good role model because you, 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 you believe the Bible, you stand for the fundamentals of the faith, and they look up to you. But you're dead because you're not growing. You're not seeing, God's not showing you new stuff in the Word of God. God's not real to you in prayer. Your prayer life is not enhanced. Your ministry is not enlarged. You're not reaching out, not doing more for Jesus than you've ever done in your life. You need to do more. Brother Roy Rigdon came and preached, and, and, and people say brother, about Brother Roy, Brother Roy, is, 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 he's preaching the best he's ever preached. He's approaching 80 years old himself. Our good friend, Brother Eddie Goddard, came and did missions conference for this year. And many people said it's the best missions conference we ever had. Brother Eddie is approaching 80 years old. He called me the other day, and I said, Brother Eddie, where are you? He lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He said, I'm in Michigan. 
He said, I've just had one of the best meetings I've ever had, had one of the best revivals I've ever had. And he said, I drove from there three hours to Grand Rapids, Michigan, because there's a Christian bookstore up there that sells old books. And he said, I went up there, and he said, I didn't buy but 20 today. But he said, boy, there's some good ones in there, and I'm looking forward to getting in them and digging the Word of God out of them. Almost 80 years old, still growing, still reaching out. That's not just for preachers. That's for you. If you're not growing, you're dying. It'll cost you down the road. You know, there's a a story in the Bible that I've always had trouble with. I'm not sure I understand it 100% now. But I was reading my devotional reading, been going through the New Testament, and, and I was reading there in Matthew and then again in Mark, that Jesus one day was coming from Bethany and he came by and he walked and he looked off in the distance and he saw a fig tree. It had a lot of figs on it. It had a lot of leaves on it, rather. And the Bible said he was hungry and he walked up to that fig tree, thought he might get a fig off of it. And it said it had no figs. And Jesus cursed it and said, no man will ever eat a fig off you again. And then a few days later when they come back by, that fig tree was dead and it astonished the disciples. They remembered what he'd done. I've always had a hard time with that. You know, to be honest with you, I felt sorry for that fig tree. I mean, why would the creator of the universe just curse a fig tree? It looked like a waste of power to me. Why was that? Why was that? I, I began to look at it. I got a fig tree in my backyard. And it's got figs on it. It's got leaves on it. The figs are not quite ripe. I've tried to look up some reference and try to do a study on that. In the first place, it was not quite harvest time. It says it's not the time of figs. It it was not time to harvest all of them. And so what he went there was expecting to find some fruit on it. Maybe that first two or three figs. And at my house, if you don't get the first one or two, you don't get none because the wasps and the bees get most of them. But he went there. But the Bible says there were no figs and it was full of leaves. What happens is the fig begins to develop as the leaf develops. And by the time you got full foliage on that fig tree, you've got a whole fig bush full of figs. He didn't say they were not all ripe. He just said there was none on it. He was expecting that tree to produce. I believe it's symbolic of Israel and Judaism. I know that. But God helped me with that a little bit this week. He was expecting growth out of that thing. He was expecting it produce fruit. And John, he says this. He said, the father's the husband. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Every branch that abideth me bringeth forth fruit. And he said, you purge it, you prune it, you trim it, that it might bring forth more fruit and then much fruit. And he said, herein is your father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. So you go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And if you're not doing that, if you're not going from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, you're dying. And we desperately need revival. And God's people need to recognize and be honest with God where we are. Don't be satisfied. You have to grow. You have to grow. You know what I've admired about people that I find? And and I I have a variety of interests. I, I always admire craftsmen. I admire people. 
I, I sincerely admire people who begin to get age on them and they don't quit. Somebody like Bob List who's retired three times and unbeknownst to Miss Esther, he's still looking at another job. He's been around the house a while. She might be looking at him a job. I don't know. I, I, I admire somebody who just doesn't quit. They pursue interest and they keep their mind active and they do things. I went and visited with Paul and Janice a few days ago. And I, I, I love art. I'm not, a, I'm not an artist, but I just love beautiful pictures. And as I was going out, I looked and I said, that is a beautiful picture. And he made reference to, I think maybe somebody, and they began to show me. And, and Janice said, Paul painted this. And I looked and I said, you're, you're an artist. He said, well, not really. I said, I had an interest. And so he started going to art classes some time ago. Been retired, but he's going, taking art. And went through the house and man, a great picture, uh, artwork there. And he said, I'm, I, I, I just like it. I've just been doing it. His mind's still active. His body's still active. His creative abilities are still active. Learning Spanish. I, I took Spanish. I learned one phrase, pollo frito. I'll never forget that. Pollo frito. That's all I knew other than como esta or something like that. Pollo fr means fried chicken. I got, <laughs> I got that one. I got it. I got that one. But those people who don't quit, don't quit. We, we've been inspired by those people in the, in the business world and in, in other places. And Colonel Sanders and, and, and you know, <laughs> O'Kitty Dishman used to say before he ever made Bojangles, he said, Colonel Sanders did not die. He got translated. He's in glory, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he was an old man when he de began to develop that business. But he didn't quit. He just kept on, keep on, keep on. Can I say to you, a lot of people do that physically, a lot of people do that mentally. But it's absolutely necessary you do that spiritually. You, your prayer life has got to be better today than it was yesterday and better tomorrow than it is today. You've got to have more intimate relationship with Christ tomorrow more than you did today. You've got to have a greater appetite for the Word of God tomorrow than you do today. And you've got to put, put yourself in the Word of God. Study. Study. Or you say, well, I'm not a teacher any longer. I'm not doing vacation Bible school. I don't make, make a difference. You, every day of your life, God will open a door for you to share the Word of God with somebody. Somebody will call you. They'll come to your house. If, if you get a word from the Lord, if God gives you a word, I promise you, he's got an avenue he wants you to share that word. But it helps you to grow. You must continue to grow in the word of God. If you're not growing, you're dying. If a church is not growing, it's dying. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You must grow. Every person, we need to grow. We need to grow in our, our Bible study prayer, in our relationships. Husband-wife relationships need to grow. Tim and Linda, their relationship growing 40 years, but they need to continue to grow. Continue to grow. The things that, that in your life that are important, being attentive to one another, being thoughtful of one another, showing kindness to one another, courtesy to one another, all those things you need to develop and grow. And a church body needs to do the same thing. You need to develop in all those relationships that Christ would have us to, to love one another, care one for another, pray one for another, and be more thoughtful, more caring, more kind. Those things we need to develop as we become more Christ-like. I'm telling you, 
just because you're to a plateau spiritually where you do want to send the Word of God and you've got a grasp for the Word of God and you're faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, don't be satisfied with that. You've got to grow. You've got to, you've got to reach out. You've got to be obedient. Some people call it stretching yourself. But you've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to pray. You've got to get along with the Lord and spend time with the Lord. Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 17. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye be led away with the error of the wicked and you fall from your steadfastness. He's telling you something. He said, you understand the concept of the return of the Lord and judgment? And he said, you're, you're at a place now. But if you're not careful, he said, you'll fall from your steadfastness. You become non-effective in the last years of your life in ministry. Boy, I love what David said. David said, God, you've blessed me. You've been good to me. But now that I'm old, Lord, let me not leave till I've shown your glory, your power to this generation. I pray God will move on us. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not asking you if you backslid. I'm asking you, are you willing to go forward? About three-fourths of this group in here, or at least half of you in here, have got satisfied with coming on Sunday morning. You love the church. You love the choir. You may like the preacher. You enjoy coming. You tell folk in the community how much you love this church. But you're perfectly content, content to come on Sunday morning. You've never pushed yourself to come Sunday night. Never pushed yourself to come Wednesday night. Why don't you try that area of growth? Growing in your faithfulness to God. Your service of Him. Reading of the Word of God. You've been reading the Word of God in the morning for a few minutes. Why don't you begin to expand that and begin to read the Word of God more? Why don't you find some good fundamental Christian books and sit down and go through it and make notes just like you want to teach it, and though you don't have a Sunday school class. Why don't you educate yourself through the Word of God about the basic Bible doctrines? Why don't you get books on witnessing and soul winning and go through it and train yourself and practice how to be a better witness for Christ? You have a gift of writing. Why don't you ask God to help you to develop that gift of writing, to write letters and articles and put in local papers. Expand your ministry. Expand your life. Grow. Grow in the Lord. You've got to the place where you yourself are faithful to come and you can get here and you've you've got to the place where you enjoy coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why don't don't you not be satisfied with you coming? Why don't you make it a goal in your life that every week you're going to bring somebody new? to the house of God. I'll find one person this week to witness to, one person to pray with. I'm going to find somebody that I can take to the house of God. And God, if you'll help me, I'll make it my goal to bring somebody new to the house of God every Sunday. Every Sunday. You have a group of friends near where you sit at and you go in and you greet them and and you love them and they're close to you and you have friends and acquaintances across the building over there and and you come in and and you're very kind and cordial people. I know that. But why don't you put it in your heart to say, God, when I go to the house of God this coming Sunday, I'm going to greet my friends, but I'm going to make a point. I'm going to find every face that I don't recognize and go to them and tell them I'm glad they're there and I'm going to make, I want them to come back and be with us next Sunday. 
I'm telling you, you ought to be looking for ways to enhance and enlarge and extend your life and your ministry in the Lord. And if you're satisfied where you are, and if you're not growing where you are in your personal growth spiritually or in your ministry as a whole, you're dying. And you wake up one morning and wonder what happened. How did all this happen? It's because you quit growing. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 